0: Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippey. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What is up on a Tuesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we have Delta Sports Group NFL agent, also my best friend, Michael Portner, here to discuss his uh, kind of continuing journey as an agent. Orlando Brown contract negotiations, how he signed the Quan Treadwell and what is next for a young sports agent continuing to establish a foothold. In the NFL and all the things that come with it. I uh, had Porter on the podcast a couple of times so far, um, and I've, I get asked about it a lot. So I figured we'd have him back on and kind of get, see where he's at about six, seven months removed from the initial round of contract negotiations with Orlando Brown and everything else he's been doing since. So I think you will find it an interesting conversation. I certainly did. Good to chop it up with my old friend, Michael. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked at the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox absolutely rolling in the money in college basketball so far this year, just a a couple of weeks ago, they went 40 and 19 in a four day stretch in college basketball. We had over the weekend a five day or five and oh day sweep in college hoops. They're crushing college football and the NFL as well. They got the NFL playoffs coming up. You need to sign up right now. If you're wagering, you're tired of losing money, just go online, go to skyboxsportspicks.com. They're going to have any sort of picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for all sports for a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever, you can do just a specific sport. I'd recommend just going on with the year-long all access pass. It's going to pay for itself. And then some they'll send you an email with a nice color-coded spreadsheet of picks by units, confidence and all of that. And boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were 15 minutes before signing up. It's the only way to profit in the long run. They make their clients money. All the uh mini podcast listeners, I should say, have had rave reviews about Skybox. Check them out. Skybox com. When you buy a picks package, use the promo code Rippy. That's R-I-P-P-E-E. And that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out. Skybox com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue, there in Oxford. Go see Greg. It's absolutely a crown jewel of Oxford, the best butcher shop in the world. If you're Rippy Rights newsletter subscriber, that's rippy rights You get free newsletters for me and discounted meats right now you get three lane train specials for 20 bucks. That's six. That's a six ounce bacon wrap filet, three of them for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 value that you're just getting for 20 bucks. That's one hell of a way to kickstart a grilling weekend. Go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up and then go find your own favorite. So many great, delicious sausages, fresh seafood. I like the tri tip, all kinds of great stuff. Filet burgers, Everything in there is awesome. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Check him out LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is NFL agent Michael Portner. All right, we now welcome on Delta Sports Group agent. Uh, also, my best friend, Michael Portner. Um, he is, I think, in Atlanta with uh, your wife, Danny's family. We're coming at you, I guess, early on December 27th, a couple of days after Christmas. How are you doing, my man? Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas to you. Getting, uh, getting back in the swing of things best I can until... These football games kick off this afternoon and this weekend. We've got a big slate of exciting games in front of us. So I'm just kind of using this week to lay low, try to recharge a little bit, and then right back at it starting starting the new year. How's everything with you, Rip?
1: Pretty good. I uh, headed home for Christmas. I went to the glorious city of Texarkana, Texas for a couple of days, headed home on Christmas Eve, did that whole thing, and then uh, and back working this week. Um, new guy on the job can't just jet off for the last week of the year. So holding down the fort while my boss is uh on vacation in South America. So uh, you know, just uh holding down the fort, I guess you could call it. You mentioned the games. Um you went to a Chiefs game this year at least one, correct? I was sitting there thinking the other day, actually last night as I was watching Monday Night Football. They added one week to the regular season, and for whatever reason, that's, like, made all the difference in terms of how long the season feels. Because now you go into, like, the first week of January or second week of January, and it's still, like, the regular season. We'll get to your game experience in a minute. I'm just curious, have you ever talked to Orlando about, like, the additional 17th game? Because it's been kind of strange in that, like— it's an odd number of games, but for whatever reason, someone that's followed football a long time, it's made it feel like the season's a ton longer, even though it's only one additional week.
0: I would, I haven't spoken directly to him that I remember, other than I have the general feeling from watching this all unfold from the beginning of adding the extra game that it wasn't exactly what the players wanted due to, of course, just an extra week of work, extra risk of injury, we come up with a laundry list of reasons why, to your point, yeah, it feels a, weirdly a lot different than just one extra game. We're still trying to wrap up the playoff picture. People are sitting at like seven and eight with a chance to get into the playoffs with what, two games left. So I think it's strange, um, but you understand the, the point of it from the owner's aspect of why you have the extra game. I did think the game Saturday, just Christmas Eve, was a cool a cool thing that we haven't really witnessed that I know of, of just a full slate of games on Saturday before Christmas. I know that wasn't exactly your question, but to answer it, no, I haven't spoken with Orlando about it. I don't know exactly what he or Laquan thinks about the extra game, but I can see the pros and the cons, of course, to give you that <laughs> that type of answer.
1: That was awesome. Having the full slate, having the red zone and NFL Sunday on Christmas Eve. The NFL knows how to push the product. That is for damn sure. They've mastered that better than any other sport. I always think it's I don't think we have seen that uh, because, you know, you got what about a decade or eight, nine years passes before you get like the Christmas on the weekend thing. Right. Um, I always think it's funny because like when that does line up. And the NBA, like Christmas is their day until it falls on NFL Sunday. And the NFL is like, oh, you're going to play on Christmas Day. That's cute. We're just going to stick three games on it and dominate the ratings. I did a bad job leading into it because we've had you on this podcast a couple of times. You're a very popular guy on this pod. I get questions uh probably you and that snacks guy that drained that three for Jackson State. I get the most (laughs) frequent questions about what you guys are up to. You are... A year, a little over a year into becoming a full-fledged NFL agent, you signed Orlando Brown last spring and immediately went into contract negotiations. We'll kind of get into what you learned throughout all that in a second. But one of the things that made me think of that when you talk about the additional game is Orlando, like one of the selling points for you, I have to imagine, is how durable Orlando is. It's that big saying, you know, the best availability or the best ability in the NFL is availability. Orlando has stayed on the field, knock on wood, pretty much his entire career. I think he's maybe missed like one game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just it, it, it being your first client, I know you're kind of new going into the negotiations and all that, but that has to be a huge selling point that it's not a guy that misses really any time at all at a position that demands a ton of you know physical exertion and hand-to-hand combat.
0: Yeah, 100%. That's one of his biggest selling points. Very happy you said, let's knock on wood there. Yeah, so, we're until, jinx it. until we get through the season, I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. That yes, that is absolutely a selling point. Um, to kind of wrap up what we were opening with with the Sunday uh, game Saturday, it was a really cool thing for me to. I had the tough decision to make whether to go watch my two clients play each other on Christmas Eve, oh, or yeah. stay put with family. And that was one of those like, holy crap, this has been a really, really good and fun year. So. Just to kind of wrap up that aspect of things, the games on Christmas Eve were was a cool, a cool thing for me to look back on. Because I know we've always discussed the principle of, hey, it's important to take a step back and appreciate these things. And that really was a cool thing on Saturday to see both of those guys play each other. I think they went and spoke with each other before the games and kind of introduced themselves. And it was just a, a cool thing. Um, but, yeah, back to the, the durability, absolutely. That is a big thing to hang our hat on with
1: Orlando. I didn't even think about that. I should have texted you on Saturday, but it never even crossed my mind. It says Seahawks Chiefs. So you have Laquan Treadwell now, too, which we'll get to in a second. They play each other on Sunday. But it is funny to kind of think about this time last year. I think it was literally like right around maybe a year to the day or pretty damn close where I had your hockey guy on, Kyle Valaquette which still to this day is one of my favorite podcasts just because, like, I had Sean Johnson, that long drive guy who was the former old Miss pitcher last week, and I had a ton of fun doing that because I literally knew nothing about it. So getting to pepper someone with questions about something like a topic I literally have no clue about was a ton of fun, but it's just funny to sit back and think, Because you were just getting started, I guess you were, you could have been more than like right about a month into the whole Delta Sports Group thing at the time. You're living in Boston, you sign a couple of hockey guys, you're trying to figure out okay, what opportunities can I have from like maybe a Mississippi athlete standpoint, college guys, NIL stuff, and then, you know, you're sitting there Christmas Eve a year later and you have two clients playing each other. In an NFL game, that had to be pretty cool just to sit back and think, you know, 365 days later, like, wow, I've got multiple clients on the field playing each other. Because, again, you get caught up in the day-to-day grind of stuff and you're like, I, I need to do what's next, what's next. And that's kind of everyone's natural, I guess, reaction to anything they're achieving or trying to work towards. But there had to be a pretty cool moment of reflection in there. It's like, wow, 365 days later and we, have you know, we've taken this huge leap.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think a year ago when I did the first podcast with you right after launching it was, I was working a sales job and telling you, hey, I just got to do one thing a day for this. I got to yeah. do one thing that has, again, just come come into something that I, I really never would have expected. I look back on the goals I wrote down for myself last year to start the business for year one. And it was something along the lines of like, make a relationship with three athletic directors and like do five NIL deals and it's like have one football client. And then just looking back at that, it's kind of head scratching, but it's definitely a blessing, definitely thankful for it. And I want to make sure I do take the time to reflect and really appreciate it because there are, there are cool things in life that must be appreciated or you'll get lost in the shuffle of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I imagine if someone had told you this time last year, it's like you're going to have two NFL clients that are on active rosters. You'd have probably been like, get the hell out of here. I mean, as optimistic and as happy as I was for you that you were getting this thing started, I'm not sure I would have called that one. That would have even been too lofty for me. Let's get to client number one, which is Orlando. So we had you on, like you mentioned, this time a year ago when you are first starting, and then I believe we talked in the summer um, right after you had kind of finished up the so no, contract negotiation window with Orlando and you were about to get married, which you might could argue is even more important contract negotiation. You got that one landed down. We had just talked about the, uh, the fact in the summer. So you go through negotiations with the Chiefs. You guys don't sign a deal. Orlando goes and plays on the franchise tag um, for this 2022 season. And I know we talked a little bit about this last time, about kind of what goes into our contract negotiations. You know, maybe it not being the kind of go into the meeting room and play hardball with each other like maybe people think it is based on what you see in the movies. But I know that was a pretty stressful time period for you because that was your first client. That was your first kind of big window of negotiations. You guys didn't reach a deal, which... You know, when you look up and see the big picture, that happens all the time. That's why the franchise tag exists as much as players hated and owners and, you know, GMs absolutely love it. But I imagine it was a little difficult for you to reconcile at first. But now when you're in the months afterward, do you feel a little bit better about how things went and the fact that, hey, this happens and we'll kind of regroup in the offseason? Has, has time passing made you feel better about how all of that played out?
0: Yeah, 100% because I did feel like that rookie cornerback who gets thrown in against the number 1 receiver like late in the game that they just pick on and go <laughs> right after. And I think I held my own looking back at it with with the whole with the way everything shook out. And then in the in the season and seeing how things have unfolded with other lineman contracts and things of that nature and also getting positive reinforcement back from those in the industry that hey, that's just how it was going to be. You had six weeks to negotiate a huge deal that usually takes a year or two realistically to get done. And the fact that we didn't sign the the kind of back-ended deal um, was about as good of a rookie mistake that I avoided that I could have. So I'm not saying exactly that, yeah, I feel great. I give myself an A-plus on the contract negotiation, but I certainly didn't flop it. I certainly didn't do... The rookie mistake and get fooled by the big numbers and having the positive reinforcement back from people in the industry and seeing how other things have shaken out certainly feel feel pretty good about my first go round at it
1: you mentioned the back-ended deal and I think that's a big misconception with people following contracts, particularly in the NFL with how they're structured. Um, you know, I would probably argue that you're in the toughest industry of the big three sports in terms of that negotiation, because the NFL doesn't have fully guaranteed contracts. So, I mean, if I'm sitting out there listening and I'm trying to figure out what all of this is about, it's like, what, what does a back end deal mean? Well, in the NFL, like I just mentioned, like the entire entirety of the contract is not guaranteed. Where in the NBA, if you sign like a forty million dollar deal, thirty five of it is probably guaranteed. Maybe there's a player option in the fifth year or something like that, to where most of the money you're going to see as soon as you sign the dotted line. The NFL, it doesn't work that way. And so you mentioned like the back end of deal. Where it's like, I imagine people see contracts on TV, you know, every offseason where it's like, wow, this guy got six years, $78 million. But you have to really kind of read the fine print if you want to know how much money is likely going in that guy's pocket. Because if he gets paid, let's say the first three years of that $78 million deal, he's going to make, I don't know, $6 million a year. So he gets three years. 10 million or 7 million a year, whatever. So those first three years, you had you know, six times seven times three or whatever. It's around 21 million dollars. Well, if you reach that point to where the, the NFL team can void that deal, if he hasn't performed well in the first three years and there's still 48 million of that 78 or whatever it is, I'm doing shit math here at seven in the morning on that back end, that contract becomes null and void. Like when they cut you, you're not seeing the rest of that money. And so you can kind of see contracts that don't really, that aren't really what they seem on paper. I think Taysom Hills is like the ultimate example of this. The Saints kind of used his as like a a salary cap workaround. It's like, holy cow, uh, Taysom Hills signed like a $100 million extension. When you look into that, like it's 75% of it's on year four and five, that in that case, even he and his agent know they're not seeing that. It's just kind of a workaround structure. Like how much did you know about that going in? How big of a priority was the guaranteed money in the first two to three years or whatever that is in the contract.
0: So to start off, the biggest misconception that that hurts with things are that your average per year and your total amount of money are the important things because that's what you're going to see. Schefter tweet out. That's what you're going to see on the bottom line. That's what's going to be the headline on ESPN is this amount of money over this amount of years. Here it says average per year. And this is where he ranks an APY versus other people. I knew that that wasn't the biggest thing ever with the APY versus um, like rankings versus other people because that um, it just, again, can be manipulated. My point is going to be that what I realized in the aftermath is that APY and the total length of the contract is like fourth or fifth on a priority checklist of what you're really looking for. In a sound contract, in a sound contract, what you're looking for is that cash flow in in year one, year two, year three, and that guaranteed money year one, year two, year three, because that's how you can avoid that back in contract. And that's how you get your guy paid. Um, like right off the bat, you want to get a guaranteed amount of money at signing, meaning they can't defer it a year or sometimes the signing bonus will be pushed back until paid off over A you know, two or three year, maybe one or two year installments. But yeah, that was a big thing to learn was that that APY and the total length really doesn't mean that much in the NFL. And then when you're talking about other sports leagues too, with the NBA, I believe that some like you qualify for a contract based on your stats and your number of years in the league. And the agent doesn't do a ton, it's like, hey, here's what you qualify for here's what you're signed. Boom. Let's move on here in the NFL. You can have somebody performing at the top of their game with X amount of all pros, blah, 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 but have a bad agent and he's getting paid in a bad deal. Like somebody who is way less than what he really is. And that's all boils down to the agent being, (laughs) being competent enough to explain what's going on and having a client understand. Oh, okay. So the, Just because this would pop up and I would win the moment on ESPN, once somebody really dug into the numbers, we would look a little foolish.
1: You're exactly right on that, particularly in the NBA, because it's like, it seems like the agent whole, the whole argument in that sport is arguing which threshold the guy falls under. Is he a max guy or is he a mid level guy? Because once they, you can convince a team, whether it's the max or the mid level guy, there's not a ton of work to be done. It seems like the contractor pretty boilerplate, barring a couple exceptions and incentives and stuff like that. And one of the things I think that people don't understand that we talked about a little bit in the summer as and after you are going through it. And this is I'm not saying this is specific to the case with you, just in general with the with athletes and representation is having to convince your guy that what is a smart deal and what is a not smart deal, because they're young. They're in the athletic prime. I imagine they almost feel invincible. I sure as hell know I would in that state. In that state, if I was you know doing something at that high a level that other people just can't do, where I would just get to the point. If it were me, I'd kind of get tired of it and just be like, bro, I want my game check. Like, let's just get this signed. I I, I don't care about four or five years down the road where it's your job to kind of like rein that in and say, hey, no, 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 like we need to do something that's going to affect your long-term future. I imagine you didn't have a ton of that with Orlando. He seems like a pretty sharp guy. But do you see just in the industry in general, agents having to battle that with their client? Like, hey, I know you're not thinking about three years down the road, but like we need to do this. It's smart because you're going to look up in two years that you're not thinking about right now and think, where is my money?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the biggest tips of the cap you can give to Orlando is he listened. He understood, and you know, again, tip of the cap to him because he, I know, wanted to sign it, but I know that he looked into it after the explanation and everything of, hey, here's what this really is. And I mean, I know it took a it took a night of sleep to be like, okay, yeah, well, we're not going to sign it because it's absolutely hard. the The emotions are high. There's life changing money on the on the table, no matter what, but it's also One of those where it's, look at these guys two to three years in and why they want to move or they're unhappy in their situation, and this is exactly why. And then you have somebody, one of the examples I kept using was Bakhtiari, which is just a better and better example now because I don't think he's played a snap in like (laughs) maybe two or three years and he's still getting all this guaranteed money rolling in without playing football. And if you don't have that locked up guaranteed, He's cut. He's out of the league. He's not getting – maybe not out of the league, but he's not getting
1: paid. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. And that's David Bakhtiari. That's the tackle for the uh, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers tackle, Um, which, I mean, in terms of high-profile guys, it's kind of you – Um, with protecting Patrick Mahomes, I'd put Aaron Rodgers there on number two in terms of like the importance of that left tackle position. It's important in every, you know, every club in the NFL, but uh, those are two of the most high profile guys that you're protecting there for the NFL. It's a little unique is the franchise tag. While I know it's not something that agents or players necessarily love, is that a good? Pallet cleanser is the wrong term, but kind of appeasement. And you mentioned it, taking a night of sleep to elect to not sign the contract. But the fact that you're getting, with the franchise tag, you get paid, what, like the average of the top five at that position in the NFL. So you have this one, you know, kind of year lump sum of very high guaranteed money. Is that a... I won't say consolation prize, but does that make it a little bit easier, particularly for your guy where it's like, hey, you're getting paid a ton of money this one year without the long-term security. That had to help a little bit.
0: Oh, big time, big time. It was one of those, the worst thing we could do is sign a bad deal because we do have that fallback of one year, fully guaranteed money at this past year, it was 16.6 million. I believe this upcoming year, depending on the salary cap, it'll be around 20. So still, again, like you're, you spot on with your point. So yeah, exactly. Huge, huge safety net is a little bittersweet of course, but still it is, it's not the worst position to be ever to be in ever.
1: Yeah, not in the slightest. I mean, Kirk Cousins was kind of the poster child for this. He uh, he was dealing with a bad organization in Washington, and he got tagged a couple of times and then parlayed that, stayed healthy, played relatively well, and then parlayed that into a gigantic deal that he's still on with the Minnesota Vikings. The criticism side aspect of you going into your first contract negotiation, I remember thinking it's wild where, like, you know, your name's on the bottom line of ESPN or whatever, where it's like Orlando Brown you know, signs with first-time agent. And then I know you talked to a guy for The Athletic who covers the Chiefs. He writes a story about Orlando going into the contract negotiations. Look, it's easier said than done when your name is not the one in the middle of it. Like, I could easily sit there and be like, you know, man, don't listen to the outside noise. How exactly did you kind of uh, battle that? Because it's just funny. Like, I see that story The Athletic guy posts. And, you know, there's, you know, 150 to 100 comments on it, you know, dissecting it, how they should go about it, your Twitter warrior criticisms and all that. How did you kind of handle the scrutiny and just the publicity of it all, because one day, you know, you're a guy trying to cut your teeth and make it. And the next, you know, you're being talked about on national television and in national publications as you go into a contract negotiation. How did you handle all of that? Because it, it can kind of be overwhelming Um, because it's a night and day uh, switch in terms of it being flipped to where now you're very well known. How did you kind of handle and reconcile all that throughout the process?
0: Well, a lot of it was a lot of the feedback was pretty negative. <laughs> with the twitter comments and i just had to learn the it's a lot easier said than done like you can't pay attention to that stuff you can't read into it but until it happens to you and you have somebody commenting on your wedding picture that you suck it's like oh okay well here we are this is what this means like i'm not gonna let it bother me to where now when i see it i kind of embrace it and i like laugh and it still happens every week especially with the how high profile the chiefs are Um, again, kind of taking it with a grain of salt because it is not all about me. It's a byproduct of Orlando. So I just know my role. I know that I'm never going to be, I'm always going to be the athlete's agent. It's never going to be the, uh, the agent's client. If that makes, if I'm explaining that correctly, that logic, because like, of course, with Drew Rosenhaus or someone along those lines, it's like, that's Drew's guy. Well, it's like, look, no, I am. I'm Orlando's guy. I'm Laquan's guy. So it makes that a lot easier that I'm not, I'm making sure that I'm not looking into how important and how, you know, notoriety, how much notoriety I have, because still it really is going to be second fiddle to the guys I represent. And that's how I want it to be. I don't ever want it to be where it's, you know, that'd be a great problem to have. Don't get me wrong. But that does make it a lot easier that if, (laughs) Orlando or Laquan can sit there and read bad comments and things thrown at them specifically about them like, yeah, I I can handle it too. But I haven't gotten a lot of uh, good positive feedback per se from uh, Chiefs Nation over the past year.
1: Well, I mean, you're a first-time agent doing it for the first time. Fans are absolute lunatics in general. I mean, you just look on Twitter and you have geopolitical experts to, you know, salary cap experts on the internet with 50 followers that's, you know, chiefsaholic or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, I imagine that the trust factor between you and Orlando is pretty huge in that as well because you also have a great relationship. He seems to trust you a lot. And I imagine where, like, if it's a Drew Rosenhaus or a guy who's been around the block for 20 years, I mean, that guy, I imagine, even could look at a client and tell him he doesn't know what he's talking about because that guy hasn't been through it, and Rosenhaus has been around there 20 years. You didn't have that benefit of it, but I imagine the fact that Orlando trusts you, that you know what you're doing, probably had to be pretty comforting throughout that, above all else, Um, because, again, at the end of the day, that's who you're representing, whereas... I don't know if y'all didn't have like as great of a relationship and he's just trying you on a trial thing. It's like, what's this guy doing? Like, does he actually know what he's doing? I imagine the trust factor between you and Orlando had to be something pretty big that you leaned on throughout that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that trust has gotten even deeper. The more we've worked together and the more time has progressed to where that is. That's the most important thing there is with, with this right now. So you're spot on the, the trust factor between, not just Orlando, but any client you get is gonna be what makes everything tick because agents are getting fired left and right. I mean, I have both of these guys because they fired a previous agent. So once you lose that relationship, that trust, I mean, there is it's almost it's almost standard practice. Yeah, cut them loose, find somebody else. So having that trust factor, especially as the first time, that was what the entire relationship was built on from day one before I even We even became officially um, client agent. So that, yeah, basically I could talk for days about that, but you're spot on with it.
1: And he's had a great year. He stayed on the field and he's performed really well. But going into that one-year contract, for the player, I mean, it's the same thing with the agent. You're betting on yourself with that franchise tag a bit. Did you have a moment where you had to be like, okay, let's just relax and get into this thing? Cause I know Orlando, I won't say like slow start to the year, but I know there was like a Sunday night game where he had a little bit of a tough game, two games in. And you, I imagine there was probably a little bit of an internal freak out from you were like, Oh my God, like where's this going to go? And then you get six, seven games into the season, you're like, okay, with the lack of, you know, a preseason and no one really playing in the preseason and guys kind of playing themselves into shape, the NFL is kind of evolved now. We're like the first like three weeks of the season is almost, I won't say a glorified preseason, but teams are using it to kind of get a feel for themselves because they just have realized it's not worth it to get guys hurt and really just go at it for four preseason games. It seems like the preseason has been devalued in that aspect a ton. Did you have to have a moment where you're like, all right, let's just relax and see how this plays out? Because I imagine on one hand, you get two games in the season, Orlando has a tough game, You're like, oh my God. Is everything falling apart here where you look up eight weeks later? It's like, actually, everything is going to be fine. Did you have to kind of teach yourself that?
0: I will say that I never had a freak out. It was another one of those. Let's look back where I was a year ago today. Let's look where we are now. Let's look at everything ahead. Um, so there was never a freak out. I will put that out there that I never had some sort of, oh, my God moment. Um when you're talking about the preseason and everything and slow start, that probably affects the offensive line unit, I would guess, more than any other unit on the field. They have to be in sync communication-wise, body movement-wise, with the guy on their right, with their left. They have to they have to gel as a unit, so much less coming in without preseason, but Orlando came in late because of the negotiation and everything that, yeah, we just knew it had to have some time to click and had to have some time to get going. And he's had another Pro Bowl year. So And the best thing he has even said from the beginning is it doesn't matter right now. You have to be clicking. You have to be hot in the right moments at the right time, which is now going into the playoffs. So everything they did, I think Andy Reid kind of leads the charge with that of that principle of we got to click we got to be good at the right time and now is the right time to be good and clicking and I think they're starting to piece it together um, week by
1: week one of the things that well you know watching you go throughout all of this and being invested in it from your perspective as your friend and wanting everything to do well is it's made me realize like man these guys on the field when you watch them on Sunday or Monday night football you know you have fans you know concerned with betting or fantasy or just rooting for their team or whatever but one of the things that's made me realize is like like every single snap and every single play, there's so many peoples whose lives are invested in this beyond this player that are just you know kind of going you know I, live, I won't say living and dying by every snap, but are so invested in every snap. And it just has made me realize the amount of people that it affects on the field at each position and each guy, and it's just kind of crazy to think about it. And it's given me a little bit of a new lens to how to view not only NFL football, but just professional sports in general. One last thing on the Orlando part as we kind of wrap that up before we get into Laquan and some other stuff is, so you're now going to go in eventually into another off season of contract negotiations and hopefully get a long-term deal done and secure, you know, financial security in a long-term future for Orlando. And do you like, what is that like in terms of, when does that pick back up? Does any piece of that happen during the season or does that kind of get put, you know, you always talk about when a guy signs a deal or a franchise tag or something short term, like we're putting this on the back burner to the offseason. Is that 100% on the back burner and you just pick it back up in the offseason? Are there any sort of back channel talks or anything at all that go on during the season regarding that? Or if you literally just, we will pick this back up in the offseason?
0: There, I stay in touch with the guy I negotiated the contract against um, throughout the year. So when I've been to games, I've seen him in person. We've been very cordial with each other. We haven't gotten too deep into it other than we both know that it's right there in front of us, right? But there's too much football left to be played to really dig into it. The situation we're in now is whether they're going to franchise him again or not. And then we're just kind of sitting back waiting for that to happen. And once that happens or doesn't happen, we'll know which, which move to take. So, yes, you're right with it being on the back burner um, per se, but it's, it's, you know, you have an eye on that back burner though. Absolutely. That every single game, every single week that goes by, you know, we're getting closer and closer to, <laughs> to really putting our priority all in on that.
1: And you have to feel a little bit better about it as the the weeks turn on, as the seasons turn on. Because, look, you got, as we sit here, you have two weeks left in the regular season. You mentioned the whole battle being, are they going to franchise tag him again? And look, had he gotten hurt and missed seven weeks and come back and he's only playing, say, his seventh game of the year versus being on the field for every game. Like, that would probably alter the course of the conversation. So did you kind of, you got deeper in the season, feel better and better as the weeks went by, he stayed on the field and he played better? It almost seems like it strengthens your argument to a degree
0: yeah it does to a degree, but it's a roller coaster ride. There's so much more that goes into it than him being on the field it's is that the right fit at that position for that offense? Some weeks it looks like yes, some weeks early, maybe not. We don't know to where I can't. I won't lie and act like i I feel better week by week. It is an absolute you know roller coaster of emotions, just making sure that I'm not too high one day. I'm not too low one day because. I mean, that's I think that's part of the the job I have is to make sure I end that throughout the roller coaster ride. I'm going to be the even kill. Hey, we got ups, we got downs, but there's a lot of football left to be played. And the biggest thing that's going to work in our favor is going to be this playoff run that hopefully they put together.
1: Absolutely. And then. As you go through it the second time, you went through the exercise of contract negotiations for the first time. I imagine there's a little bit of a piece of you that just has to feel better having gone through the exercise the first time. It reminds me a little bit, like I talked to some of the, a couple of the guys I know, like Buckley and them on the PGA Tour, where like your rookie season on the PGA Tour, you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the smart way to plan a schedule? What courses suit me best? I'm going through it the first time where if they, you know, lucky enough to retain their tour card, they have a much better idea of how to navigate things the second time. Do you have any semblance of that to where it's like, I'd have been through this once. I kind of know how this works. I feel a lot more comfortable in the process and how this is going to go, as opposed to kind of flying into it blind. You mentioned the rookie corner that gets thrown in late. They pick on him. You feel a little bit better about knowing and just having the knowledge of how the process goes down. For
0: sure. That first go round at it, it was absolute day by day, fight or flight. Like it was wake up and that was the first thing on your mind because you didn't know what would happen day by day. You didn't know, oh, am I going to get a call and have to be on my game at six o'clock tonight? Like whatever. So we're now absolutely going into it. I feel much better. I know what the process looks like. I have a better grasp on what everything means numbers wise and what everything looks like. And, yeah, I do have that bit of confidence that, hey, we went through the ringer once. I know what we're doing now, and I know what it will look like afterwards. So, yeah, absolutely, there is something about getting that rookie year under your belt, that first contract under your belt, and moving on to where now I'll, uh, I'm a lot more comfortable with the situation
1: than I was last year. And so transitioning, kind of getting into the Laquan, as you did pick up another client this year, Is So once that kind of subsides, you go into this football season, and I feel like NIL has kind of changed the landscape of how all this works, but what was kind of your mindset going into this football season just in general in terms of trying to pick up a new client or multiple or just grow, grow your client base as you entered this 2022 football season? Did you set any sort of goals of, I'd like to get this guy? How did you kind of approach trying to grow your client base throughout this season?
0: yeah so it was i my goal was i needed one guy this year to keep the momentum going i needed to get one guy on the client roster to take through the nfl draft process i still have not done that so that's a huge thing that was my main goal was of course i had these lofty goals of oh let's get these three or four guys that might be first second third round guys like of course that's out there and i tried it um doesn't look like that's going to happen which is completely fine you got to Almost, it feels good to have a little bit of failure under my belt now, too. Yeah. It's like I gave it everything I had, it didn't work. This is very much a baseball like thing like, hey, you're great if you get one out of every three guys. Um, so wait, what was the what was the, I lost my train of thought? No, no, you're was, answering oh, the, perfectly
1: where it's like, it's funny, you're Like Things are almost going too well. It's almost like the the yeah. guy that comes in and like heat checks for 10 straight games right, in the first right. 10 games of the NBA. It's like this actually – I don't know if this is sustainable because I'll end up in the Hall of Fame if that's the case. Like it feels good to be back, brought back down to earth. But, but I was just asking like your general approach, which you did answer the right. question there. But so you mentioned that and you haven't gotten that college guy yet or whatever. Hopefully that can happen and you go through the NFL draft was I won't call it a consolation prize but I don't imagine you had like a guy like Laquan on your radar Mm. that had to be a pretty nice boost even as you're trying to pick up those college guys I guess we'll just get right into it you saw Laquan Treadwell take me through how that happened I know the story generally it happened pretty quick but just kind of take the listeners through how you did that
0: but yeah sorry. I probably should have had an extra cup of coffee I lost my train of thought there so forgive me on that but yeah. The Laquan thing was a very unexpected blessing, a very unexpected thing pop into my lap per se. Definitely won't use the word consolation prize because that's absolutely yeah. not what it is. Um, I was in Oxford staying in that room. You're in right now yeah, where, <laughs> uh, for the Auburn weekend, I believe. Yeah. And I get a call from a kid that when I interned on the West coast, uh, He was an intern that I was like nice to. I kind of gave him some advice of what I had learned, what would work well, what wouldn't work well, how to navigate the opportunity per se. And we have stayed friendly with each other for a while. And that was a year ago that I met him. So he calls me and is like, hey, Laquan Treadwell is about to fire his agent. Do you have any interest in pursuing him? (laughs) And I was like, yes, of course I do. But like, let me give me some time. Let's think about this. And I remember talking to you. I remember talking to family and other people that I trust and care about. And it's like, yeah, why the heck not would I I not go for this? There's very specific rules to where I couldn't specifically go recruit him or try to pitch him until he fired his old agent. So once that happened, we had to give it a buffer of time. It's a five-day buffer before you're allowed to go speak to them. And I think that's there to either salvage the relationship between client and agent, or just wrap up the books. Either way, that five-day period ended, and I'm on a flight leaving Boston at 5 a.m. He's on the practice squad in Arizona. So I fly straight from Boston to Phoenix, um, hop in an Uber, meet Laquan and his wife at a restaurant for about four hours. And what's funny about it is, is they when I met with them, it was all right, let's talk business. We had some, of course, pleasant you know, formalities that we talked with and everything, but we weren't sitting around ordering food and really cutting it up of having sure. a good time per se. It was straight into So let's roll up the sleeves and talk business. Laquan's wife, I will absolutely give her a nod here. She's on it. She had hard questions for me. She had the stuff that you don't really ever want to ask or have to talk about of like, Hey, this is your first year. You have one client. Why the hell should we go with you? Um, not exactly like that, but you know, that principle that you have to ask. Yeah. But we got right into it and next thing I knew was I looked up and it was 4 hours later. I was like, "Hey, I've got to catch a flight back to Boston tonight." Um, like where are we at? And it was I'll I'll verbally confirm right now. Let's give it some time before we sign paperwork just to kind of digest everything, but I got it to where Laquan really opened up during that um, that meeting, and I had the verbal confirmation going back to Boston that, hey, I feel comfortable doing this. This seems to be a really good fit. And then about yeah, I think three or four days later, whatever that Saturday, um, we got the paperwork fi- uh, signed, sealed, and delivered, and that was that was how that all unfolded.
1: What were you? Sir, that's fascinating on a number of different levels. It's like, did you, when you had that meeting, you had that four-hour meal or whatever, where you're getting down and talking business. You mentioned like getting to the point where it's like, hey, I have to catch a flight back to Boston. Where do I stand? When you walked into that restaurant or walked into that meeting, did you did you think like you'd walk out of there with a verbal agreement, or did you think maybe I'd kick the tires and we'll continue this conversation, like, I, without knowing how that works or whatever? Like, did you was that? Obviously, that was the goal. Were you surprised it came together that quickly? Or is that just kind of standard operating procedure and how this works if you're actually going to get shit done?
0: So I felt really good about going into it. I had the paperwork printed out ready to go. I went in with the mindset of this is about to happen. Um, I had nothing to lose. There was I got everything I had out on the table there. There was no nervousness, no complacency for me. I knew my angle and why it would work well with him. I had the papers ready to go. I expect I was hopeful that we would have it officially signed, sealed, delivered, but once I knew, I felt it out, I knew that trying to shove paperwork in front of their face and signing and leaving wasn't exactly the right move. Then I did just ask, "Okay, can I at least, like where are we at?" And then that's where I got the verbal confirmation where it was a big, "Okay, well that's about as good as I could be right now because Again, if I would have shoved paperwork in front of their face there and pressured them, I really feel like it would have broken that trust and it would have really had an unfolding effect on things instead of just being, okay, here's where we are. This isn't exactly what I hoped for, but it's still a pretty damn good spot to be in, all things considered.
1: And along that note, as you mentioned, he he fires his own representation, and I know there's like a. am li- not trying to get into like what what like the old person was versus what you had to offer. But, you know, your selling point. It was kind of the same thing with Orlando is look like I can give you a lot of more attention than maybe a bigger, you know, a bigger, more established agent can with a ton of clients. He's a former first round pick who even to his own admission, I mean, we had him on the podcast, like the career didn't exactly go maybe how he dreamed it up when he got drafted by Minnesota that night. But did you get the sense that they felt they weren't getting the full, maybe, breadth of attention or effort from the previous representation on that? Did he have a bigger guy like that? Where was he coming from and what was he looking for? Because it seems like to a certain degree, it kind of fell exactly into what your selling point is. It's like, you are my guy. I will give you 100% attention. I don't have 50 other people to worry about at this point. Yep. Yeah, with
0: him, it was he was bounced around practice squad to practice squad. He had an opportunity to be in Jacksonville last year, and then the coach left. And now that's how he's actually in Seattle. But there might have been some disagreeance on the advice to stay in Jacksonville versus going with the coach. And then that all unfolded one way to where it did turn into him bouncing around practice squads and not getting that attention. And one of my things were, hey, I'll be sales job on this thing. I'll be up at 8 a.m. hitting the damn phones talking to every front office person contact I have of, hey, we need to get Laquan on a, a tryout here. You're short on receivers. Here's a receiver. So that was angle number one was, first and foremost, I will be able to get you – I'll give you my effort, exactly. I make no promises on getting him on a team other than I'm not going to stop hitting the phones until the season's over. The second big thing that I hit that's really cool, especially about being on this uh, – podcast with you is the Mississippi market. Laquan is a walking legend in Oxford, Mississippi. There's no two ways around that. And that was not being taken advantage of. I mean, it is, I don't want to say it's going to be the easiest thing to do, but having Laquan Treadwell with off the field marketing opportunities in Oxford, Mississippi needs to, needs to happen. He needs to have a presence with that program. He needs to have a presence with Mississippi businesses He needs to have a presence in Mississippi. And that's right when I was going on that angle of how that could work well with my connections being a Mississippi guy, Um, his wife, Victoria, was like, I've been telling him that for years. We go to Oxford and we go to a restaurant and they're basically rolling out the red carpet for us without us even asking. And it's like, yeah, let's tap into that. So the first part of that plan came into fruition of the execution of things that I got him on the podcast with you and that was another thing he really liked was I showed him I told him all these things I talked to Orlando about that are now unfolding off the field all these business opportunities now I was like I'll be the guy who says all of this but I'm actually going to follow up and do it for you this is not just a a blind sales pitch that I'm never going to follow through with so I think those would be That was kind of how the conversation really, the big points I would take away from that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so you sign him three, four days later, and then all of a sudden he has a tryout in Seattle. They sign him. And then now, you know, as of, I guess that was last week, heading into the Kansas City game, it was announced that he was going to be promoted to the active roster for the final three games of the season. And, you know, in Laquan's case, you know, last year I was looking it up last night. In 2021, I think he had 33 receptions for the Jaguars. He got targeted like 50-something times, had 400-something yards. I mean, look, that's not like Pro Bowl stuff, but that is something to where it came as a surprise without knowing all the other context to the situation of, like, why did that guy not make their active roster next year to the kind of the point that you got to earlier? Like, that's not a guy to per se should just be bouncing around practice squads lucky to have any sort of, like, uniform or locker space in the NFL and having a job. Take me through what happens next. Like, did you, I don't even know if I've ever asked you this, did you orchestrate the tryout with Seattle or had that already come about? Take me through how that happened and he gets signed with Seattle. A little bit. So the cool thing about
0: the Jacksonville uh, stint with um, Laquan last year was he developed this great relationship with the wide receivers coach. And I think he only played six games maybe last year, maybe more, but he had a great end of the year with this receivers coach who took a great liking to him when I sign him Laquan has four or five options of where to go what to do one of the biggest the two things we really juggle between we're going to Seattle where this wide receivers coach that he likes and that they have this relationship is now so we knew that this coach could get Laquan at least the tryout I talked to him he says I want to get the tryout I want him to stick around, but he's going to have to be on the practice squad for a few weeks. He's going to have to get acclimated with our team. He's going to have to be a good locker room guy, which I know he is. I, I want, But basically, he was like, I want him here. I want him here for the offseason to where next year when we get to camp, he's more likely than not going to get, start the year on a 53-man roster. There was another opportunity with San Francisco where they brought in they called four guys to come in for a practice squad spot. And that was a spot because I think some of the rookies may not have been performing quite as well. Yeah, And also maybe one or two people were hurt to where I didn't fully orchestrate the Seattle thing because he had that great relationship with the coach, but I sure let it known that my advice and my guidance was what's special here is the relationship with the coach. You might have to be, on this practice squad, you're not going to be on the field for the next few weeks, but I truly believe that this is the best position for you to be in versus being a Band-Aid for another team. Like Maybe he could have been week, one of those weeks in Seattle where he was on the practice squad. He might have started a game or two for another team, but as soon as their guy got back, Laquan has gone, and that was not the situation in Seattle, and I had a conversation with that coach, and I just had to take it for what it was that's what he told me I had to believe him and trust him and he has followed through with everything that we spoke about to where it was a a cool thing that has unfolded with the Seattle opportunity with Laquan
1: and a nice added bonus to that was the fact that I figured this I learned this on the podcast when talking to him is that his wife's family's from up there so there's some familiarity with all that was just kind of his gravy on top it seems like it makes the situation even better. So for you as the agent, when he has the tryout and he signed to the practice squad or promoted the active roster, is there anything contractually you have to do or is that pretty cut and dry bullet or What is that like?
0: Yeah, it's going to be cut and dry boilerplate. I do have to read through it. It's a practice squad contract. There's a minimum and a maximum you can get. I think it's like the difference in 14 and $18,000 a week The only ones who get the 18000 a week apparently from my research and my calls around the league um, are the quarterbacks. The quarterbacks are going to be the ones to get that. They offered him the minimum on the practice squad. I did my due diligence. I looked at it, and it was like, yeah, here it Like, is. Let's sign it. When it comes to the contract language, when it comes to what it looks like, no, no negotiation there. That is as boilerplate as it can get. So he was on the practice squad contract for what? six, five, six weeks. Yeah. And then the rule is once you are on the active squad three times, that fourth game you have to become on the active, you have to get an active contract. Yeah. So that's how he officially became off the practice squad. And it wasn't like he went three games and then he got brought down. He set out a game because I think they were trying to decide, okay, if we get activate him for this fourth game, he gets the contract. And I think they were – this is just all speculation here. I think they were going to see how he was going to handle not dressing out for a game, and we had that conversation. And this is a true testament to who Laquan is, is he was like, yeah, this is not great news. This stinks, but I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to keep working, and I'm going to be a positive energy in that building every day to where he was not dressed. And then, again, this next game – He was dressed, and I got a phone call. I was cooking dinner in Boston. I got a phone call from the guy in Seattle, and it was one of those, okay, this is about to be either really good news or really bad news, but I got to answer it. And I answered it, and this guy was just jovial and was like, Merry Christmas, blah, blah, blah. We're going to give Laquan an active spot, and it's just like, boom, it, it worked. And that was the difference in the practice squad contract and the active roster's contract. And what's important about that is if you're only active squad for 3 games, you get what's called a credited season. And that yeah. is what unlocks your player benefits, which is just huge for his life and his family that he gets another credited season under his belt after he had been bouncing around practice squad to practice squad. I feel really I feel really good and happy about that aspect of things that he's going to get Another credited season from this experience.
1: Yeah, that's massive because that totally brings in a whole number of factors from you know retirement pensions and stuff like that. It's time served. It's the same thing in any professional sport, which again, as you mentioned, is huge. I'm just curious. You mentioned you get a call from the guy in Seattle. Who is that? That's not the receivers coach, right? That's someone in the front office. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so you get that news. I imagine that's just like Christmas come early. And then you, you will know, fast forwarding all the way up to this game on Christmas Eve. He gets targeted seven times and has four catches. I imagine you're pretty ecstatic and you see that and you're watching the game where it's like, this is kind of coming together. And for Laquan's sake, like everyone kind of knew the ability was there. That's a guy. It's just another example of people in the NFL were like, you know, your life can change in a week, particularly when you have the ability there. Just when you're watching that game, you see he gets targeted that often. I know they lose the game, but you had to be pretty happy with how that played out as you're watching it on the field. A hundred percent. And what this is kind of funny,
0: I haven't even told anyone this story yet. So you're getting the scoop on it. But there we go. Um, I'm sitting there watching the football game with my brother-in-law um, on Saturday. And he's like, gosh, who's that other guy? He's huge. And I was like, yo, that's Laquan. He's <laughs> like, oh, damn, he look like that's him. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's him. And he got a target and a catch there. And it was like, yeah, he's supposed to be out there. He is not just a practice squad bounce around kind of guy. Because he looks the part, he plays the part, he could play. The more he plays, the better he's going to be. And I believe that. Um,
1: so yeah. And so, he gets those targets. He's gonna have two more games from when he goes through those two more games, you go to the offseason. What is what what is your job for him next? I know you mentioned you get the credited season, you had the whole thing with the receivers coach like I want to bring him in as a shot to make a roster next year. What is kind of your job, your plan, whatever you wanna call it for Laquan as he enters the offseason? What's so the name have,
0: of I wanna have another conversation with the coach to see realistically, hey, do you think this is gonna work out as planned? Or are you going to, you know, what what are you thinking? Um, Because he's the one who will give me the real of like, yeah, one way or the other, just because he has that great relationship with Laquan, which is unique and special. I'm not talking to any other coaches about one of their players. So I feel like he truly cares about Laquan where he told me I don't want to just bring him in for a three or four week thing because I truly care about him. So I'll talk to him. I'll see what he's feeling. I'll also, of course, talk to the front office guys, see what they're thinking. And based on that, that will be where I guide. If it's good things and it's like, yeah, we're still according to plan, it's going to be, let's stay in Seattle, let's work out, let's get up to the uh, the facility, be around those guys as much as possible. Of course, with the off offseason, um, he'll be traveling, enjoying time, being with his family, things of that nature. I will just have to fill out, hey, are we going to get a one-year deal done already this offseason, or is he going to have to play into – not necessarily one, could be any sort of deal. Yeah. Um, and say it's a no and it's uh, hey, we're just going to bring him on as, you know, let him have another shot to make the squad early next year. Then I'll more likely than not be calling around just very gently saying, hey, what's the likely – you know, what do you think on getting Laquan a – contract with your team things of that nature to where i just need to fill out what the market is for laquan specifically before i give any sort of real guidance or advice
1: what have you learned about doing with front office guys in the nfl because we talked about on last podcast that it's not like a you know sit in the conference room and play hardball and go back and forth and it'd be a very contentious thing i do imagine there's probably agents out there that front office guys when the guy picks up the phone is like oh shit this guy again like you're obviously very well spoken. You can talk and you can get to know people and relate to people. I'm just curious, like what have you learned throughout the process about kind of forging relationships with NFL front office guys? What is that like?
0: They're just normal dudes like us per se to, to the extent until that negotiation cap comes on they're they're good human beings. From what I can tell they're not ill will when at all costs until that negotiation cap comes on, but then that's their job, but it's much more of a, Hey what's up man how's life? How's the family? I want to make sure that I'm not overly trying to be your best friend and you know have beers with you and stuff along those nature along those lines um, because I want to make sure that <laughs> you keep the client first yeah. but still there is no ill will there is a very much more so open conversation of hey, tell me how you feel about this where are we at? instead of uh, a mind game at all times. That's where I am right now. I could come to learn in five years that I am just being naive as I can be and they're playing me like a fiddle. But I don't believe that right now. They seem to be, you know, guys with families who love football. One of the guy with the Chiefs I was talking to and it was a game day and he was like, I mean, man, if we can't get excited for game day, then we're in the wrong business. And that kind of stuff is real that I appreciate about, trying to build these relationships the best I can.
1: When you go to a game, what are you like? What do you have? Like, I got to check this box and talk to this guy. Like when you went to that Monday night or Sunday night football game, Chiefs Titans, I believe it was. When you go to a game as an agent, what are you doing? Are you just there, you know, not just to make an appearance, but the fact that you're there, you're in there person for your guy. Like, what is that kind of like? What is kind of your on your agenda when you go to a game uh, that a, a guy you're representing is playing in?
0: spend time with them just to check in, say what's up, uh, maybe have dinner with the guy, um, things of that nature. So making sure that if I go, I'm getting FaceTime with Orlando in this instance. Um, when I go to the game, I'm in communication with the guy I con- negotiated the contract against. This is the the cool highlights of the job or that my meeting space with him was he got me on the field with a pass and we sat there and talked for 15 or 20 minutes again about like just football about life, but not necessarily the contract. Yeah. But I will say what I made sure I did both because I went to two games back to back and both games, like I made it very, very known that Orlando has done great work in the off on the, off the field in the Kansas city market. He gave $50,000 to a local kid's hospital with diabetes, doing all of those things. So it's not intense, but I am making sure little things are dropped like, hey, we, you know, this is what we're doing. I'm not just saying that when we were negotiating the contracts and things of that sort. But I mean, I, you know, his wife is there. I met her, things of that sort of nature and talking about the game that night instead of, all right, so hey, where's Orlando at? Are we going to get a deal done this offseason, at least in the two games I've been to this year? that's how the conversation has been. But it is cool that my meeting place with these guys are on the field before a game. That's definitely a perk of the job that I, back to our, one of our initial points that you got to enjoy and appreciate being able to walk down there and do that. It's pretty cool.
1: Last thing here, as we wrap up, you go through this, this first full football season, I kind of asked you at the top, like what you learned about that process. NILs kind of changed the game with all of that. You know, you're in on a couple guys you're trying to like, you know, balance that line of you know one following all the rules but like nil seems like it's turned into kind of the wild west of that just kind of what did you learn throughout this season of trying to grow your client base in general as it pertains to college kids like do you feel like you learned anything about the uh about the uh, approach and all of that like what what was that kind of like for you going through that for the first time
0: yeah, so what I found out were a lot of my ideas that I thought would work, work to an extent. So these NIL deals that I've done really did open up the door to access to these guys. And I also did a lot of good work with helping them, but also helping, you know, in this case, Ole Miss football. Um, I learned that it can work. I learned that the framework's there, but I also learned that it's a lot deeper than getting a kid a few NIL deals that you have to really go deep into the family dynamics. You have to look at who's really making the decision here. Yeah. Um, And that is, you know, as much as you want to be close to the, to the uh, athlete, to the student athlete, and as much as you want to build that relationship with them, sometimes that's not exactly where you need to put all of your eggs in that basket. Sometimes you need to look at the bigger picture of, Oh, of course it makes sense for, mother father to be involved but that's really who is making this thing tick um i learned that it's i learned it's still fun i still learned that getting into the nil stuff is a pure form of this business that needs to stay that way um i made some great connections with businesses things of that nature but i'd say the biggest thing i learned according as part from learning how to travel I have so many good new travel tips cuz I'm on the road <laughs> all the time. Um it's just that it's just I would say making sure you're focusing your attention on the right parties
1: and things. And then one of the things is you try to you got to like as you're becoming an established agent, you got to figure out who your like potential client pool is. Like, you know, I mean, I'm just using this as an example. Like Matt Corral last year, if you just put all your eggs in your one basket as a first-time agent, probably not the right way to spend your energy. You kind of have to thread that needle, and then you can find diamonds in the rough. The NFL is one of the unique leagues where, I mean, like half the league's almost undrafted in terms of you look at guys in the field this year. You have a client from Delta State. Um, You know, that's D2 football Uh, they have a great program there like kind of take me through first of all i guess we'll just start there who is that guy how did you kind of come in contact with him and realize oh no no this guy actually has a shot here because that happens every year in the nfl you get guys from lower levels of football that you know hit a growth spurt late or just became really productive really strong it's like he has a chance take me through that kind of give us an outline who that guy is what he does and when you kind of learn oh this guy actually has a shot at the next level
0: So I had my big recruiting list. I know we've spoken about in the past. You hit up those guys. Sometimes they don't answer. Um, I had all of my eggs in like a few different baskets. None of them panned out. And then it's like, okay, what do I do here? Let's reassess. I got a little lucky with this one. I was in Cleveland, my hometown, where Delta State is. And I'm talking to the athletic director about everything going on because we're close family friends. He's like, you need to check this kid out if you haven't yet. His name is Nick Melsop. He is a 6'8", uh, offensive lineman, around 330 pounds, to exactly what you said. He hit a growth spurt late. When I first talked to him on the phone, he was like, "I was, you know, the first question is, hey, how real is this NFL thing? Do you actually want to do this, or is this just a, your a huge guy that's played football? Maybe I should go in the NFL. And he was along the lines of I never thought the NFL was a real opportunity or a real possibility because I hit this growth spurt like three years ago. So what's great about him is the deeper I've gotten to know scouts, the more feedback, the more football stuff I know, Yeah, uh, the more it made sense. He was a late bloomer. He holds his weight well, which means he's 330, but he looks and moves like he's 275. He has good hips. He's agile. He can get up into the next level and also you can't teach that size right Um, so that's huge and then look at things about how he's uh he's getting his mba right now he's a smart kid i got great feels from him that we uh just decided like yeah we're gonna do this after a few conversations and talking through scouts and everything along those lines um and he looks to be the the one guy I'm getting this year, unless something else shakes out, which could happen. But all of this is approaching very quickly. And our plan for him is to, he'll go to this college gridiron showcase in Fort Worth. That I made a few calls around, got his tape in front of the director of that game, that showcase per se. And in, I guess, a week or so, he's going to be in Fort Worth running these drills, the OTA-style format things, meaning they're going to be in pads and blocking each other in one-on-ones, but it won't be a full game. But he's going to start getting exposure from all of these scouts, and they already kind of knew who he was. He was a first-team All-D2 AP, first-team All-American for the D2 level, first-team All-Conference. So it's not like this is a, oh, hey, this is a real diamond in the rough no one's seen. It was, again, a, oh, people are kind of on his radar. It's my job now to get him on more people's radar and get him more exposure, which we fully expect to happen coming up in the next month or two leading up to the draft.
1: And with a guy like that, you know, I imagine on the surface when you first get in contact with him and he decides he's going to go with you, like just at the 10,000 foot surface level, it's like, all right, this guy probably won't get drafted, but let's get him in a camp. But the way the NFL thing works, as you mentioned, the more and more you get him on their radar, who knows what the hell could happen if he blows up in these camps? We see it every year on the high end where, like, I mean, I guess Zach Wilson would be an example. I know he's on some people's radar, but all of a sudden that guy jumps. It's like, oh, no, he's going to be a top three pick because scouts just get enamored with what happens in the camp and stuff like that. Are you kind of just taking it as you go? Like, you'll figure out closer to draft time if this guy's going to be maybe a day two, day three draft pick or get him into a camp. The name of the game now just seems to be get him as much exposure as possible. Then when the time gets closer, just see what the deal is, basically.
0: Yeah, we'll know a lot more after this uh, thing in Fort Worth. He'll be in front of around 50 to 60 scouts from NFL teams. He will have to go run around and do interviews with these scouts. And so they can get to know him as a person, of course. Once we get that feedback, that'll be more like, okay, this is where we are with him. Is he going to be a hey? Let's push everything we can to get him to be a late rounder, or is this a, hey? Stay the course. Let's let him train where he's training. He's training in Ohio with somebody he's trained with his whole life, and that will just again we'll go off of what the scouting feedback is from there. But uh, one of the biggest things that I can't believe I forgot to mention is the kid says he's going to run. A 4849 at that size, which Ooh. is like, whoa, that is some, you know, if that's, you know, I believe him, of course. So when you hear that too, at that size with everything pieced together, that is like, okay, let's just, let's get you in front of these people and let them see you. Because at this point, it's all just passing that job interview, which is the pro day, the NFL. I doubt he goes to the combine realistically, but the better you can do on these pro days and show these measurables, the more likely that you're going to get drafted, or at least when the draft is over, I'm going to not, I'm going to professionally annoy some of these people so well that they're going to be like, okay, he didn't get drafted. We're calling Michael Portner right now to get Mel into our camp. And those are the two ways
1: I could see it going. And one of the biggest things is you mentioned when you, when you got you got on this kid's radar you're like i need to get him exposure you've done a good job of building up relationships with people in the nfl or scouts or the scouting community or whatever like i did you seem like you had good foresight in knowing that piece is important whereas like i don't know you decide you want to be an agent you know you get orlando brown or whatever and you're trying to sign another guy like if you didn't have those relationships that would make the gig almost impossible or it's like well who exactly how exactly am i going to help you like who can i actually talk to how invaluable is developing relationships with people in those circles been to now where you find a guy, you actually have a network to push him through in terms of like, right, let's actually get you on a radar, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's huge. I've known going in from the beginning of this, that the relationship with scouts were huge, but it's like, okay, how do you make those relationships? One of the best relationships with scouts I have came from you. Um, so I can text this guy and he can give me the lowdown on, Hey, here's where I have him at for Mel stop. That was a, something along the lines of like has a chance to make a 53. I've asked him about other guys and they're like, that's a camp guy, which is a a camp guy is just a guy that send in as a body for two or three days before the first cut. So the starters don't get hit by the rookies coming in to get into deeper about the scouts. Yeah. The network of that is going to be huge. Um, Building the relationships, having, being able to attach my name to guys like Orlando Brown and Laquan Treadwell gets me more responses than I would have ever had yeah. without without it. Meaning every single time I've reached out to a scout, I've at least gotten a response back. Here's where it gets tricky, are these scouts only cover certain regions. So just because I know this one scout, if this guy isn't in his region, he do not know who the hell he is. So if I wanted to go for a guy on the West Coast or maybe even – The Midwest, I need guys in the Midwest or guys not necessarily in the Midwest, but that cover that region. And that's still probably that's probably at the top of my priority list right now is making relationships with more and more scouts. Um, I'm going to this thing in Fort Worth in a couple of weeks simply for that, not simply for that, but that is a huge thing to go with that is to be there for the guy, Nick, but also I'm going to be running around doing the good old networking um, that's such an essential part of this job.
1: Last thing as we kind of wrap it up here is, you know, you're now another year into this. You have two NFL guys. You're kind of working to grow your client base. How do you kind of evaluate and reconcile where you are? Because again, this is an incredibly tough uh, business to crack into in your first year. You you know, you have a pro bowl left tackle, you have a rod receiver that's on an NFL roster how do you kind of evaluate and reflect back on what the last year has been as you try to build it? Because I imagine it's a balance of, okay, wow, like I'm a step, a lot step higher than maybe I thought I would be. I've got like my foot in the door per se, but also you can't just completely reflect back and be like, I'm set. I need to keep going. Just how do you kind of, when you think back on the last 365 days, kind of just what are your thoughts on how all this has gone down?
0: Yeah, I'm very appreciative for how everything has gone the last year, but apparent a. To your point, exactly, though, man. I mean, I have so much to do. There's so many things I could be better at. There's so many more people I need to know um, to even get a chance to get some of these first, second, third round guys. I've got a really, I've got a lot more work to do. So there is that great balance of, okay, this has been really cool, but damn it, I got a long way to go. And how do you do that? It's just taking it, you know, it's almost like cycle by cycle, experience by experience, like this new this new thing I'm really excited about learning is how am I going to get a guy into the NFL? I feel like once I learn that, the better I'll be at doing that, the less drawback it'll be to go with me, because that was something tough for me this year was. All right, look, you never got like, yeah, you got these two guys, but you've never gotten a guy from right. college through this process to the NFL. So I think. Just building on things like that, being able to actually have a assessment of, okay, here's what I've done good. Here's what I've done bad. Um, But simply put, man, I've got such a long way to go before this thing becomes established. And I would say I'm legitimate now, but becoming more and more legitimate and an actual
1: figure in the game, per se. He is Michael Portner, Delta Sports Group NFL agent. Man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the time. Uh, This is always fun chopping it up with you. I'm extremely proud of everything you're doing. And uh, hopefully this time next year, we'll talk about 10, 15 clients. But uh, awesome awesome stuff, as always, dude. I'm very proud of you. And uh, let's keep working.
0: I appreciate it, Rippy. And I do want to let it be known that I'm very proud of you, too, with everything you got going on. I've stayed with you a few times throughout this fall. And you're up at 6 a.m., um, every morning doing these podcasts, you're doing podcasts, um, covering things at eight o'clock at night, all while working a 40 hour job. So I want to make sure, you know, that that is that and recognized and appreciated from my end as well, man. So, uh, proud of you too. And let's keep this thing moving. And, uh, I appreciate the time as always. Absolutely. Dude. We'll talk to you soon. All right.
1: See ya. And that was Michael Porter for Shade, my old pal's time. As always, um, always one of the more enjoyable podcasts that I do. We'll be back at it with Michael Borky later this week, putting a bow on the NFL season and a couple other things coming down the pipe as we kind of wade in between this time and baseball season because I uh, got Kermit Davis and the old Miss Rebel basketball team not really helping us out on the content front. But anyway, we'll be back later this week. Y'all have a great start to your week, and we'll catch you soon.